John Snodgrass is a charismatic and fascinating artist. He's been making music for well over 20 years, releasing albums as a solo artist, as well as with his band Drag the River. In 2020, he released three albums. One of them was with his old friend Frank Turner, and it was a follow-up to an album they made 10 years ago called Buddies. He also released Tastes, which features many artists, including Stefan Egerton from The Descendants, Joey Cape from Lagwagon, and Mikey Erg from The Ergs. I had a fun conversation with John about his music, baseball, and all the craziness of 2020. I hope you dig it. So uh, your, your most recent releases are two albums called Taste and, and Buddies 2. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about those two projects and how they're a little different from each other. So the Taste record was recorded... Uh, <clears throat> I was recorded kind of over, kind of started in 2016, to be honest. Um, I just kind of record where, when I'm in places where I have an opportunity, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I don't really, I mean, I've definitely had a schedule and gone in and recorded and just made a record. And that's definitely a fine way to make one. Um, and I've, I've had success mm-hmm. with that, but I also kind of just like the, you know, it's just recording when you're amongst people that you like, you know, and you're uh-huh. and there's a studio close by, you know, and if it's good, it's good. And then when you have enough stuff ready to go, then you put a record out and that's what that record is. It's called taste, but I think it's tasse. <laughs> I, I should have listened to the Google translation, like listen to the audio version. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, I wanted to just know what Latin was for, uh, because uh, it was originally supposed to be a note for me, because I think I talk too much. Um, but it's also just, I made three records this year, actually. And there's one that came out before that's called uh, Post Mijos. And it's it has a song called Jumpy Jumpy Wee and Woo 2, which means, uh, to me, I talk about, is it is it crucial that you say this? Is it truthful? And is it honest? You know, which I think is a... Socrates thing or a Buddhist thing or a lot of it's a parallel thought for a lot of smart people, you know, have basically said yeah. that, you know, you should there should be purpose for what you say and you should be nice about it and it should be true, you know? Right. Right? Uh, yeah, so I, taste I think... taste just kind of means shh and originally that was just my like the Will Rogers saying like maybe it's not Will Rogers either. Maybe it's Roy. Or maybe it's some guy named Roger. But somebody said, uh, uh, don't ever miss a good opportunity to shut the heck up. <laughs> right? You know? That's good advice. Yeah. So the whole thing just kind of is going with that. You know, like uh, I just have this whole thing since I had kids. Like, <clears throat> yeah, it's not, we're kind of insignificant. You know, um, there's a lot of people out there. You know, just kind of need to listen to everybody and, learn stuff and teach what you can when you can. Right. 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 And then, um, buddies two is a follow up to buddies one. Um, can you talk about the, 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 the idea behind that one? Uh, yeah, well that one, we, um, so when the COVID thing started, I was talking to Frank and we were, we were talking about, uh, we were going to do a buddies 10 anniversary show in May in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And obviously we didn't do that, but we were pressing a 10 year anniversary, uh, pressing of that record. Um, cause the original copies of that record 
a bunch of them got burned up in kind of a famous fire um, that happened in London. I don't know if you ever heard about that, but there was a fire at a distribution plant and a bunch of Clash records got burned up. A bunch, you know, lot, I mean, huh. just ton, tons of titles. Like it was, if you look back and Google it up, it was about 10 years ago, right? So anyways, I got like 50 of them. And but the majority of them burn up, and it was kind of a sought-after record that was really hard to find. So uh, we finally we finally repressed it, you know, ten years later, and we were going to do some shows. But when we were talking about it, we realized that I'm like, "What are you doing? I don't know, finishing record, maybe writing a kids' record." And then somehow it just got brought up that, "Well, let's just make a let's make a another buddy's record," you know. And then we decided, "Let's do it every ten years." <laughs> so. <laughs> If you listen to it, you obviously know. Like I, and I really was. I was suggesting it as we were recording. Like, uh, buddies on a boat, buddies at sea, Frank Turner and me. <laughs> like, like I'm already pitching ideas for for buddies three at sea. At sea, I like that. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do it on a boat. Uh, uh, another guy was asking me about it, saying like, "Ah, oh, it should be on an awesome boat, like a puppy." daddy type boat i'm like i don't know about that how we can make that happen but i like the idea of just being on like just a bogus just janky boat you know and like you just hear the motor like you know we can work with that you know uh you know we can we can dock somewhere if we need some quiet otherwise you know who knows sound like a tom waits record i think you could talk to uh chuck reagan about that he could probably hook up with the boat He could. Uh, I love Chuck. So, um, speaking of like other people on the album, there's uh, especially on Taste. Obviously, buddies too is you and you and Frank Turner. But um, but on Taste, there's a bunch of different people um, that you brought in um, on on drums and bass and guitar and all that. Um, how did those collaborations come about? It sounds like you, you're working with friends, and and that was kind of the whole thing behind that. But is is that what was going on there? Yeah, I mean. So two of the songs uh, that I did with Mikey Erd, those started, um, we were touring and we were going to um, Montreal together and we were playing at a, uh, a festival up there called Pusa Fest. And, um, and we had, a, I kind of booked maybe a couple days off just to demo some songs and they were just going to be demos. And um, I sent him phone message demos, you know, and, right. uh, I was in New Jersey at our mutual friend's studio. I was just there to sleep and stay and, you know, maybe track something. And I asked him if he wanted to come down and he took the subway down, listened to those two songs. And then we just bang those out. And those are like, one of them's a one taker. And one of them is like a two taker. Wow. And, uh, they were just demos. And then when I was thinking about doing more, how many times can I say the word demo? But, uh, they, I didn't think I would use those for a record, but in the end, I'm like, these are good. This is it, you know? And, uh, right. so I used those. So that's how that happens. Um, and then the same, actually the same thing, like all of these songs really, um, then Stefan Egerton was going to help me and well did. And that was the same thing. I was like, I just need to get some songs together and kind of figure out how to get a record going. Um, mm-hmm. basically so I can just, keep playing music you know <laughs> like you just gotta make a good record uh so you get to go places and and, and play <laughs> you know right because right? right. uh, that's that's my job that's how i 
how I live. But uh, so that was that. And then uh, then Mikey Erg and I, we were on tour with the Homeless Gospel Choir, and we did another song when we were in Kansas City because we had a day off in Kansas City. So we recorded the song that I wrote on that tour. Uh, I'm trying to think what else there is. And then a friend of mine, so the and then two of the songs are actually much older. The original idea was in 2016, I had recorded these two songs and put out the seven. It's called The Carpet Thief. And originally I was thinking, okay, I'll just record um, like these little satellite recordings with different people. And I'm, I was going to put out a seven inch every year, 16, 17, 18, and 19. And in 2020, I wanted it to be a full length record. And then it would go on Spotify and, you know, all that stuff and then live there forever. But for like right. vinyl collectors and, and people, you know, just have a special little thing for them. Uh, and that didn't really work out because I wanted to do it with three different labels and just scheduling. And I probably didn't uh, uh, organize it, you know, that well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I ended up, it just took me four years to finally put out the full thing, you know. Um, but it's probably about maybe, honestly, like 10 days of actual recording in that four years. <laughs> yeah. But but like I said, like a record's done when it's done, you know, and uh, and it was done when I and it was done, believe it or not. Then I had gone to California to work on a another acoustic record that just wasn't there was some technical problems and it just didn't really come together. Right. And I wrote a silly little song called Renaissance Man, you know, just in the in the time it takes to listen to that song. And um, the guy who owns the house who was letting us record there. He's a great buddy. He plays drums and he came down and we just banged that song out quick. I'm like, this is perfect. This is the, this is it. Okay, this is it. I, I, I got 10 songs now. That's it, you know. Like yeah. that's so. That's really how that happened. Huh. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering if it was recorded, recorded in real studios as opposed to you know like each person recording at at their house or whatever. Because it, it sounds mm. fantastic. Um, and so oh, it, 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 uh, it has a. It, it reminded me a lot of that um, uh, late '90s um, punk rock from Southern California, like Bad Religion, No FX, just really oh, punchy cool. drums and everything, and had that. Vibe well, yeah, too, I mean. So. I'm fortunate, you know, to to have some great friends that have great studios. So I drove all the way down to Tulsa, and we recorded uh, like four of those songs, I guess, me and Stefan. We did that in a studio, and uh, I apologize, I can't think of the name of it. It's the guys from, uh, in Tulsa, the guys from that band Hanson. Uh, huh. It's their studio, super nice, rad studio. And then Chris Pierce's studio is in New Jersey, and that's an all-analog it's called volume four and he's been because it's his fourth studio. You know, he just keeps kind of moving them around and he's recorded, you know, all kinds of great punk bands like Nightbirds and the Erds, you know, <clears throat> stuff you've heard. And, um, right. and then, then I recorded in Kansas city, um, with Paul, uh, from a band called Shiner, who's, 
the guys from the blasting room, like Jason Livermore. I mean, he's a guy that Jason Livermore admires, right? And right. then then we finished by mixing it all at the same studio, which is at the blasting room. And then Jason Livermore mastered it. Chris Beeble mixed it. So I didn't want them to try to make all the songs sound like they were recorded in the same studio. Um, but we mastered it so, you know, it didn't sound like a mixtape from the 80s where some, one song sounds super loud and one doesn't, you know, like type right. of thing. Like when it goes from the Rolling Stones to some old Rolling Stones song to ACDC, you know, just doesn't right. knock it out of the water. But so we did that kind of stuff to it. But it was just all about mixing. Um, if a certain studio, if the kick sounded great or the snap, you know, you just you just get the best out of every every room, you know, that you can. Right. And then, and then it's a lot to do with how you sequence it. Um, like that's why I did that song with John Moreland. Um, it was just a silly chorus that I'd made up, and then I wrote some real verses to it. It kind of turned into a, a real song, but I needed a just kind of a quiet acoustic weird song. I thought to tie a couple songs together, you know, so it mm. made the record flow. The record is is just the sequence of a record is just a long song to me. You know, you get the songs done and you're, you're not quite done. You know, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta turn it into something. Yeah. That's one of the things that stood out to me about buddies. Actually, I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but since it came up, um, it has like a, um, it, like when I listened to it, I listened to it a couple of times in a row and it almost felt like, a like a, I was listening to like a podcast, like just the, the conversations in between, there was like music and it was like this tongue in cheek thing where you, you know, you're joking about recording it as you're going, but you're not really, and everybody knows you're not doing that, you know. And it was just this, it has this this like fun kind of vibe to it, and um, I was just kind of interested in how that all came about. Well, yeah, I mean, did ha, did you hear the original Buddies record? Yeah. Okay, because that's how. I mean, that's that's real. I mean, um, and some of the stuff on the Buddies too. I mean, really flow right into the song. Like we were really, um, um recording the same way that we're recording right now right i have a line out and uh we were talking on zoom you know we weren't like singing together and stuff but we were working on song ideas you know but 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 the so there's a little bit of truth to it um but obviously we, we cut all that together that's not in real time and all that but um but the first buddies record was like we worked out all the songs the day before um, and then we came back to my house where I'm sitting right now in the same garage. Uh, the only difference is that I'm recording into a Tascam model 12, which I can send this recording to you, uh, through the computer easily. And my other one was called a Tascam 388, which is a real, the real tape machine that I had to, that weighs like a hundred pounds, maybe. Or no, 80, it's like 80 pounds, um, something that sucks to pick up, but it's so small, you can't really have a friend help you carry it, but I had to carry it, put, put it in a car and take it up to the blasting room to mix it. Anyway, uh, but it's very similar situation, and Frank and I just sat there, we remembered those songs, we had all our notes out, and we just talked, and we worked on the songs, and that's there wasn't much editing or anything with that. That's that's some pretty real time stuff, and um, I'd always wanted to. So ten years ago, um, and we talked about it. I was like, "Can this be my first snodcast?" Because <laughs> a friend of mine had told me, "Like, dude, you have to have a snodcast." 
like a snodcast. He's like a podcast called the snodcast. I'm like, oh, that'd be great. And I started checking it out. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I love these podcasts, but I think there's too many. I, I'm too late to the game. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. So, uh, yeah, didn't do it. <laughs> but I love that you say that because that was kind of, I'm not going to say that that was the plan, but it, it was kind of how we felt about it, too. You know, um, I like those kinds of things. Very, very conversational and laid back. And, you know, I love a record, obviously, and sitting and listening to a record, but also just for entertainment value. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, people like podcasts. People like to hear their buddies talk to them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I love most about podcasts is, is getting able to hear the backstories between everybody. And, and when you have a little bit of time to talk, you know, then, then people uh, tell stories and you, you learn about the person that you're interested in. And that, yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. What's your favorite one? What, what do you listen to? I listen to a lot of political podcasts. Um, so um, I listen to, well, Up First from NPR. I listen to that every morning. It's like my, my, uh, Up First. Re- yeah. Up First. Um, yeah. It's like my, it's just like 15 minutes what's happening in the world. But then, um, that's not the daily. No, that's New York Times. So um, Up First is NPR. And, but I do okay. like the daily. And the daily's good. That's a little more um, episodic um, about a topic, uh, which is cool too. Okay. But then I like NPR politics podcast is great. I really like the Chuck Todd cast, which is kind of like the Snodcast kind of idea, like a little mm-hmm. pun on your name. Um, but Chuck Todd from Meet the Press, um, that's a really good one. And then my favorite one that I've been really digging into is, well, two, um, Rick Rubin has um, Broken Record. And oh. it's, it's uh, Rick Rubin and um, Malcolm Gladwell. Unbelievable oh, cool. guests. It's so cool. And then, oh, I'll um, check that. Great. And then Questlove Supreme um, is Questlove, you know, the drummer from The Roots. And sure. um, it's, it's, he's been doing a podcast for like quite a while now. And so they, um, there's, a, there's a ton of episodes. I, I'm, I'm interested in hip hop, but it's not my fundamental. I come from the rock world and punk rock and all that. But um, so it's interesting yeah. to hear all these backstories on all these artists and start making connections. And it seems like every, everything comes back to Prince and James Brown and um, uh, who's the blind piano Sam player? Cook. Sam Cooke's in there. No, the um, uh, singing of blind Miles. piano player, not oh. uh, not Ray Charles, the other one, Stevie um, Wonder. Stevie Wonder, I got blanket his name. Yeah, it's Stevie Wonder, James Brown, and Prince. It's like everything comes back to those three dudes. It's weird. Louis Armstrong. Yeah, there's a lot of jazz guys too. Um, but um, yeah, the jazz thing, Kendrick seems to be, Kendrick Lamar seems to be about the only guy who's really super digging into the jazz thing. A lot of uh, most other hip hop is is funk based. Huh. I like all that, but yeah, I I like the I like the jazz. I like the I like the weird chord, you know. Like yeah, like that song I did with John Moreland, my friend Little Chad. Little Chad showed me this chord. I don't have a east my e string just broke off, but uh, I did that, and then I told my friend Todd Caps, and then Carl Alvarez, and I just told them play some blue notes over these couple two weird chords that I play and it sounds like the end of that song Boys and Men sounds like sounds like jazz music to me. <laughs> you know? I love it. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love I um, love jazz too. So yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to I wanted to chat a little bit about a couple of the songs on the album. Um one of which was Don't Break Your Heart. I really like that song and I like the um, the video to it as well. It's it's a it's it's a cool thing. 
Um, but I, I, I was, I'd like to, if you could talk about that song and kind of where that song came from. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I have a, a daughter, you know, and kind of like I was saying, I feel pretty insignificant, you know, and, uh, and like, I care about her, obviously, like everyone should, but, uh, right. yeah, the idea, I mean, I think I'll handle it. Her maybe dating someone or not even just that, just, just like, you know, kids can be mean, you know, and the idea of somebody like, I don't know, just being rude or just not cool. Like it, that's, I'm a pretty good guy, you know, but that's the kind of thing that could make my blood boil, you know, right. um, just mistreating either of my children. Um, I was at a restaurant once and yeah, I saw someone not being rad to her and like, I kind of almost felt violent. No, and not almost felt, I did feel violent, but I didn't do anything about it, you know, because that, obviously, I'm not going to, you know, get violent in a restaurant, but I hadn't really right. felt that way before, you know? It was like a weird animal instinct, you know, like a huh. protective thing. I'm like, what? You know? Um, so, yeah, don't break her heart. Um, I basically say that I would go to jail, you know, for her. Um, which is true. I don't really know how else to explain that. Um, I, it's probably true. <laughs> you know, if, right. if it ever turns out that I disappear and uh, I'm living somewhere that you don't know where it is with uh, uh, eyes wide shut guy, it's probably because someone someone did something. It would be something. They would have to do something super bad. You know? Right. Right. I don't know. I'm exaggerating, but I kind of. Uh, I'd like to put that idea out there, maybe. Because <laughs> then maybe nothing will happen, you know? The other song I wanted to talk about is called Backstage, and it actually kind of is the same theme about mm-hmm. being a good person and all that really good advice. Um, it, uh, it, yeah, it just has some interesting life experience kind of kind of vibe to it. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that song a little bit? They don't know your name. Even if they did, they are working. We're all lucky to be Of course. I mean, like, I, it's this thing, I mean, we're all in, I said this for a while, I mean, when we're doing a show, uh, I mean, it just goes back to, like, even all the way to what, the way you're negotiating, like, the deal that you're doing. Like, I, I hate, I don't like talking about money, and I hate having to monetize what I do, because it kind of takes the fun out of it, and, but it makes, I've learned that it makes things a lot easier when I just try to do business deals or business stuff too. Like I only like, uh, this is something else that many people have said that the only deal I like is one that everyone feels like they get a good deal, you know? Right. And, uh, it's just a mutual respect kind of a thing. And when I go to these clubs too, I mean, we're all there working, you know, like mm-hmm. they don't need to treat me any, like I'm, I'm an employee there. And, uh, I people laugh about it, but like I, I, sometimes, I mean, I'll come off stage, and then when I, if it's a place that, where there's a bar, because um, my wife owns one too, I can't not walk past a table that needs to be bust and not pick up glasses, you know. <laughs> so like, I'll go up for my shift drink after the after my set, 
with like a, a load of glasses, you know? And I don't know, that's just, I feel like, you know, it's, it's good for me too. Right. Because then the people that are working there, I mean, that everyone's happy because then they're able to maybe sell more drinks, you know, and they don't have to worry about cleaning it up and everyone. Right. It's just, right. if you make people's work night easier, then everyone's going to be happier. Is, is how I feel about it. If you're going somewhere, carry something as you're going that way, you know, <laughs> like don't go empty handed. Like it's, it's just from that world. But there's some people that I've been around and I say in that song, I won't name names. Uh, but I've just seen people just take people to task, you know, and it's just, it's just embarrassing. You know, like if you're ever at a, at dinner with somebody that's just bugging the waitress, you know, with all this special stuff. And you're like, dude, it just doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't, just, right. it doesn't matter. We're all, we're all just here. And, uh, yeah, they, they might not even know. Like there's people that work at clubs. They, they don't know your band, you know, some right. people do, but like, even if you're some super famous guy, like they don't know who you are. Like, so who cares? You know? Right. Just relax, you know? Why don't you go get your own coffee? You know? There's a Starbucks across the street, you know? Right. That's all. That's all. It's just It just goes back to treat people the way you want to be treated. Absolutely. Um, that song also had, uh, in, the, in the ending of it, uh, kind of at the end of the course, it had this a uh, couple chord changes that reminded me of Common Rider. Um, I was wondering if, if there was any... Are you familiar with that band? Is there any, mm-hmm. is there any reference mm-hmm. there? Yeah, that one, that, that one right there. Yeah, I don't know what Common Writer is, but that that is a uh, that's a riff that I have played for. Oh boy, um, a really long time, and I play it at home or at practice or something. And and normally when I play that, um, that's a signal that I'm I'm done. I'm about to put my guitar down. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just a thing. It's just like a tick, you know? It's just a thing that I do. If I do that, then I'm done. <laughs> no, Common Rider was um, from Berkeley. They were um, part of that whole, the band, what was the, um, it was Op Ivy. It was Jesse Michaels from Op Ivy. Um, mm-hmm. he, that, was, that was the band that he went into after um, Op Ivy broke up. Okay. And, um, and they just, do that riff? Yeah, I mean, there's a, I, 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 I should have written down the name of the song. Um, but uh, you'll maybe I'll email it. it to you. You'll text it to me, right? Yeah, yeah. That little riff. I mean, it totally reminded me of Common Rider. There's a an album, an album they have called uh, Last Wave Rockers, and um, it came out. I don't know when it came out. Early 2000s, late 90s. But um, yeah, it's it's a really good album. But it, it, the song's on there. I'll, I'll I'll send you the song. Hmm. Oh boy. Well, I didn't mean to steal that from him. I don't <laughs> believe I've heard. The, heard the song, but if you're talking about the late '90s, early two, 2000s, I mean that, that that's definitely how long I've been playing that thing. You know, it's just a <laughs> thing I've always played. Like, no, yeah, and, and and me sticking it at the end of the song, like we were in. Uh, that was literally, we were lucky to go in there and record right that day. That that was that day off song where mm-hmm. we recorded um, with Paul and um, and. Uh, I thought he was in a, like, he was, he didn't want to be there very long. You know, I was like, I think, I think that we can get this song done quick. Um, 
and he budgeted for like maybe two hours. It was like two or three hours or, or something. And mm-hmm. I thought he was stoked to like to get out to get out of there sooner. And I was pretty stoked that we got that song done. And I just, and I just played that riff like right at the end of that song. And we were um, in twenty minutes. That was like setting up because he already has the drum set up and huh. it just sounded killer because uh, his band had been recording. I'm like, we'll use whatever you have. Just, you know, no effects, just, 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 just dry everything and we'll, and we'll mix it in post and, uh, or like do all this stuff later. And uh, it was done in like 20 minutes. And, I, and that's why I played that because I was stoked. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I got it. <laughs> it means I'm done. Uh, and that was just right. an inside joke only for me. Um, but then it turned out like he, he kind of wanted to be away from the house <laughs> and we ended up listening to the new Shiner record and some other stuff that he recorded and we hung out for, for the whole time anyway. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. that's a little tidbit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, Do you uh, know that you know, band Shiner? Have you heard him? No, I'm not, I'm not familiar with him. Oh, well dude, put, put it on and then. And then imagine, listen to any Shiner record, but but the most recent one, listen to it. And then um, imagine what it would sound like in this killer old analog studio in Kansas City with the guy who made the record. And it's where it's going to sound the best, obviously. And it's massive. (laughs) You know, it'd be like, I don't know, uh, uh, um, what's that band? Like My Bloody Valentine or something. Oh, okay. You know, those yeah. bands, and there's just all these guitars and just these sonic, tiny little sounds, and it's just massive, and the drums are huge. Yeah. So, yeah, we just, yeah. Shiner. Just did I'll that. Yeah, got sky high and listened to some tunes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good night. So, hey, the, um, this whole, you know, 2020 shutdown and everything has been weird for artists, I know. But um, uh, how, how are you working around uh, promoting albums? I know with touring shutdown, everyone has to be creative. So what are you doing as far as, you know, when you put out an album, what, what kind of changes have you made this time around? I mean, I, I don't know, not really any. I mean, <clears throat> it was already planned that uh, Gary Strack, who's a great guy who I was fortunate to work with a long time ago, but he's, a, you know, he does like the PR stuff you know and just just let mm-hmm. people know that it exists and uh that was going to happen anyways um i i embraced the spotify and all that stuff more in a personal way because i uh i had to, this answers both things i mean i've been working on my house and i needed space in my house uh i also needed money and uh what else yeah, needed space and needed money. So I finally started. I was never a collector, but I, I've always, I used to always work in record stores. Um, and then I just, you know, toured a lot, liked to go to record stores and got great records. And I started selling my records. And then I got Discogs, I mean, through, through this thing called Discogs. And then I got Spotify just so I could hear stuff. I'm like, you know what? This is fine. I don't need to put on the records. That was like my own thing. Uh, I'm getting rid of this because I'm going to be able to uh, have enough space to give my son a, a new room, you know? So I'm building that. And so I did that. And then I was told you should, uh, there's like the artist pro, artist thing. And like, you need to claim your, <laughs> claim your 
that John Snodgrass and Armchair Marsh and Drag the River claimed those things. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and I kind of looked at it and like, oh, that's cool. These, this amount of people listen. Like, I didn't know nothing about it, right? Zero. Um, but about the promoting part, I'm just, I started doing what AF, the uh, record label, and Gary said. I just, you know, we just kind of slowly put songs out because I guess that's what people do. I just put out a record, and, you know, normally. And uh, it's interesting. Um, Spotify, they don't pay you money and all that, but it's just a new world. I don't care. I mean, I'd like to have it, but uh, it's just how people find out about it. And I think embracing that and letting the other people do what they do must be working because what was it? It was like terrible at math. Uh, maybe I had like 10,000 people, you know, that listened or something. I'm like, oh, that, that seems like something. And then when those records came out, all three of those, and then they just ramped up and I think it's like 150,000 now or something like that. And these are numbers like I never looked at or cared to look at. I just didn't know what they meant, you know? Um, But I know the difference between 10 and 150. (laughs) And it's uh, 150% better, right? Is that right? I don't know. It's a lot more regardless. (laughs) So something, whatever, seems to be working. Uh, People are hearing the songs. That's all, you know. I'd like people yeah. to enjoy them. So it seems like they are. So that's good. That's good. Well, I'm definitely enjoying them. Do you have Thanks. any uh, upcoming projects coming up this year? I mean, you've done a lot this year already, even though you've been um, at home not touring, but any uh, any plans for 2021? Yeah. Uh, I just started putting, like, in, just trying to put the good vibes out there, right? Just putting the the idea out into the world that maybe we will get to play again at some point. I started holding holding shows. The Colorado Rockies? Didn't, did we talk about that? Baseball? No, no. Okay. I've, uh, on my schedule, I mean, wanting to go to a Giants game, I book a lot of shows around the Colorado Rockies away schedule. This, like, my touring was starting with the baseball season in San Diego in the middle of March, mm-hmm. right? When all this stuff just shut down. Like, that's when my year was beginning. So I had already taken off pretty much from November to March. So now it just seems like I haven't worked forever, you know? But um, I'm holding stuff in, in September. <clears throat> and we'll just see, you know? I'm going to keep the glass half full. I know it's a 50-50 idea. Um if they have to be super spaced out type of shows, outdoor, you know, something. Um, if there's a way for me to safely go out to Atlanta and D.C., Philadelphia, and then uh, just some places in between, you know, like I'm holding some Boston and North Carolina and South Carolina and Atlanta, you know. Right. We'll see what happens. Um, and then I like to go to Europe. In the UK for postseason baseball, I like to call it a post show postseason baseball, where I get to play, and then about two in the morning after we get back to the hotel or wherever, then baseball starts in the US. Sometimes there's an afternoon game, and I can watch it at like ten o'clock. So I normally try to book a day off for that. For that, 
you know. <laughs> it just makes it fun, you know. It's a good time. All right. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's all the questions I had for you. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. That's a, a lot of good stuff you shared with me. Well, it was super good talking. We will go to a baseball game, okay? Absolutely. Because I'll come out there, and uh, I'd love to go to a AAA game. I'd love to do that. Fantastic. Okay, buddy.